0: Hi, and welcome to this episode of I've Got This Kid. I'm your host, Sharina Williams, licensed speech and language pathologist, homeschooling mom of two, wife of one, here to share everything speech, language, play development, and all that other stuff that falls in between. World changers, I am continuing on this Back to School brand page, and we have covered Kindergarten readiness. We've debunked myths about kindergarten readiness. We ain't dealing with flashcards and ABCs. We've talked about homeschooling from the lens of a mom. Not just me, but a whole nother mom who homeschooled six kids. And now this week, I am so proud and excited to have my brother, Atalo Brown, Dr. Atalo Brown here with us today because we're gonna talk about how to return to school safely. Things are starting to change quickly. And I just thought that it would be amazing to have him on the show to just talk about what he sees and what the science is saying at this point. And so Dr. Brown, I'm going to let you do your thing and introduce yourself.
1: Thanks so much, Sharina, for having me on the podcast. I mean, you've really built this from the ground up. It's been a family affair. And I think that your insight is very special and unique. So I just am honored to be here with you today. Uh, I'm Italo Brown, a physician. I also go by Dr. Brown, Dr. Italo, if you're my patient. I'm cool with either of those. (laughs) Um, But no, I'm uh, originally from Sacramento, California, Morehouse College grad, Boston University grad for public health. I went to Meharry Medical College, another HBCU, shout out to HBCUs, by the way, and then trained in the Bronx, New York, at Jacoby and Montefiore, two uh, hospitals that uh, are recognized as the top 20 busiest hospitals in the U.S. And if you kind of have followed the coronavirus pandemic, you would have seen that these hospitals were hit tremendously hard in New York. At that time, I was here in Stanford. Uh, So now I'm in Palo Alto, California servicing the Palo Alto and East Palo Alto community through Stanford.
0: Man, for all you do, I've watched you from when, oh man, back in our old college days (laughs) all the way up. And I can't say enough how proud I am of you and everything that you do and everything that you've taught us along the way. So let's get right into this. Should parents be concerned about sending their children back to school this fall?
1: I think that it's very normal for people, like, so first of all, right now, there are a lot of things that feel abnormal, that feel like, you know, first first time, first experiences, and we are struggling to define what normal is. Well, one thing that I can say confidently is normal is for parents to be concerned, right? Like, I think that is exactly what should be going on. Parents saying, hey, you know, what are the protocols to return? How are we going to ensure safety of our children? Uh, and, and specifically, how do we have some reassurance that our child will be prioritized and their health will be prioritized by the systems that they return into. So yes, there should be a level of concern. If the question is, should they be concerned that their children are not safe? I think that there are factors involved in that conversation, right? So one depends on the age of the child, right? So we we know right now if you're 12 years old or older, you are eligible to get the vaccine. So that conversation has to occur at the family level. But if your child is younger than 12, then it's like, all right, so what precautions are you using to protect these children? Are you providing masks? Are you providing spacing that's adequate so there's social distancing within inside the uh, the facility? Are the professors or the, the educators or the teachers being required or asked to uh, consider vaccination? Uh, and if they are, then how are you ensuring that that critical mass is reached so that there seems to be like a, a herd immunity within the cohort of the classrooms, right? So these are things that I would be questioning from the jump. And then I think there's like a broader questions that you're wondering, like, all right, so how does this interfere with children interaction? You know, how do you make sure that there's still normal development of children what if in the last year, there's some trauma that's being addressed by these children? I mean, because there's been a, a huge displacement of kids who are in the educational system. So I think that there is reason to be concerned. I think that there needs to be intelligent concern, not just kind of like, all right, everything is falling apart and we need to like find somebody to give us complete answers because that's not what you're going to get.
0: Right. And I like how you use the term intelligent concern. Because I hear a lot about, well, we're not going to do it. The vaccine hasn't been tested enough. It's not safe enough. But how do you communicate that to families, like the safety of the vaccine and how to intelligently concern yourself and how do they advocate on their child's behalf to make sure that their child is safe?
1: Well, uh, a couple of things. So. I am a big fan of finding trusted messengers and trusted sources of information. So I think that the parents have to be invested in that process. Like you can't just say, I'm going to listen to, you know, your local news or media outlets. You've got to do some of the digging. Uh, And and then part of that digging requires a little bit of insider knowledge, right? So, I mean, here's the big secret is like, there is an entire society for uh, children's health that you can follow, right? And I would look at the pediatric societies, right? Like medical societies that are, uh, like I don't know if it's American College of Pediatrics, but they have those type of different societies that give out recommendations and they're staking, they're basically putting their careers and reputations on the line behind the knowledge because they've done the due diligence of reading the papers, having the conversations, asking the tough questions. They've seen thousands of, literally hundreds of thousands of patients, and they are going based upon a general consensus within that group. So I would start by looking at their recommendations because that's literally from the horse's mouth. That's the closest you can get to. Right. The second thing I would say is we've got to be better at misinformation. So knowing what isn't true, debunking things. So, uh, you know, people will believe that if I give this vaccine to my child, the child isn't going to develop right, might turn into, you know, a bird or some other (laughs) kind of crazy stuff. (laughs) Like there's always some sort of like, you know, weird rumor or some type of a thing attached to these conversations. And you've got to tease apart that. Uh, And then I think the last part is there's a a certain degree of communication has to happen between you and the child, right? Like to understand the, the child's apprehensions, to understand the child's level of understanding around what's happening over the past year. And then you take all those things into account and make an educated decision based upon your level of comfort.
0: I couldn't break it down any better myself. Hence why you're here to break this down because (laughs) I have this conversation and I hear this a lot. And some people are on some end to where it's a lot more relaxed, especially for those who are already vaccinated. They kind of feel like, oh, we can relax on things. And then on the other hand, I hear people who have not gotten vaccinated and still don't buy into that. And so we are, what, 16 months in? Of being in this pandemic and a few months ago, once the vaccine really started rolling out, people thought that they were a lot more safe. But then we started hearing the buzz about the Delta variant. And I would love for you to explain, like, how is the variant different than what we were looking at 16 months ago?
1: Okay, so there's a couple of things that kind of stand out to me. We understand the virus. So first off, we have to tease apart some of the language, right? SARS-CoV-2 or coronavirus is the viral infection. It's the the threat. COVID is the, the syndrome that happens that we see in the hospital as a result of that viral infection. And so when we talk about variants, the variant isn't COVID. COVID is still the same. It is still the same constellation of syndromes and symptoms that we see, right? But the variant is the virus. And that virus has ways of kind of like changing its. It's almost like it wore a different outfit that day. You didn't recognize it. So when you were prepared to see that virus look a certain way uh, and you recognize it a certain way, and then it comes in looking a little different, that's a variant. So the main thing is this is not an abnormal thing for viruses to do. That's what they do. They tend to wear different clothes, change the hat. And it's a a pattern for them. And we're good at predicting how these variants play out. Now, what makes this one different than previous versions or previous iterations of uh, SARS-CoV-2 is the fact that it causes more severe disease because of how it affects the lungs. Like it has a specific way of being communicated. and, And I think that it affects lung cells a little bit more intensely than what we previously thought of the, the strain that first kind of came on the scene. But why that's important is for those who are unvaccinated, it means that you are getting a more sophisticated version of the virus, and it's harder for you to fight that uh, illness. Uh, and it's different from, uh, you know, we see that adults and children kind of, you know, children are resilient. And I say that not as a way to kind of encourage people to like go one way or the other, but because we know that these viruses have affected children uh, more commonly than adults, because coronaviruses in general are more common among children than adults. And so while there are different variants, children have been exposed to a lot of different type of viral agents and their immune systems have a little bit of plasticity. Uh, or, or can kind of be flexible a little bit. And, and it's different for adults because we've had like time to kind to like develop familiarity and then we get stuck in our, our immune systems, kind of get stuck in their ways. So we have very uh, different reactions.
0: Okay, interesting. I like the analogy of it, wearing and changing outfits. And I think even that line can be a way that parents start that conversation with their child, especially when asking them to mask up, Um, going out in the community, seeing, you know, the little ones when they're indoors and they're kind of resisting their parents about wearing those masks. But if, you know, world changers out there have that conversation before they leave the house, like, hey, you know, this virus is different and it's wearing different clothes. Maybe it, it was a summer vaccine and now it's a winter vaccine and so it's wearing the heavy stuff and we don't want the heavy stuff on us, so let's mask up even having like those conversations with your little sugar can change the game on how they understand the virus and how you communicate to them. I love the way that you broke that down and just made it a language thing because, you know, language is my jam. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. Now I know, I know I did my homework.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, when we're talking about language and we're talking about like, how do we make something so complex not only easy for us to understand, but also easy for our sugars to understand so we can have that conversation and say, yeah, it's this thing going on. Yeah, it could be a scary true. thing. But when you use terms that make sense to them, then it becomes a lot more palatable for everyone. And so when we're thinking about the variant and we know now that it's in a different outfit, I'm gonna steal your term. Right. <laughs> what does it look like for safe return? just because there have been so many mixed messages. Like we've seen on the news and you're right, like my undergrad degree was in speech comm. And so all we did was research and researching like agencies and outlets. But now we're in a time to where stuff comes so quick and it's not always backed up. And not only is it not backed up, it's not fact-checked. Like the sources aren't quite there. And even when you dig a little, you find out that the source ain't necessarily really like valid reliable source. Exactly. And and so like when we get those mixed messages, how do we ensure or like how do we guide these world changers to fact check what's going on? I love that you brought up APA. APA is real and they do have like really good information that's out there, but where else would you guide world changers to?
1: Yeah. I mean, so so here's the thing. If you're going to go with news outlet information, You gotta kind of like streamline and filter through it. Uh, Realize that they have two two agendas. One agenda is they want to get a message out as broadly as possible. The other agenda is that a message has to be somewhat, uh, it it, it has to be click worthy, listen worthy, and, and potentially a little bit blown out of proportion. So I keep that lens on whenever I watch the news. I'm like, all right, so they're trying to get me something, give me something sensational, right? The second thing that I consider off the rip is if I'm on social media, like looking through memes, looking at people's pages, I'm like, all right, so what does their profile say specifically? So when I go and I see their little post, I go to their profile and I'm like, what do they do? Where is their validity? Do they have credentials? So you should be checking credentials of the people who give you conversation around this. If they don't have a degree in advanced biology, if they don't have a degree in medicine, if they don't have a degree in public health or epidemiology or biostatistics or all these fields that actually allow them to interpret the data effectively, their words do not become fact. They become uh, opinion at that point. Like this is opinion. And then I'd say that Information that you do get from like family and friends, realize that it is coming through a filter, right? That is almost like that, that childhood game of telephone, where it may have started out actually a real fact. And then as it passed through like nine or 10 different people, uh, you got some version of the fact that isn't accurate, right? So, and I find this out all the time when I discuss things like the vaccine with people, because they'll start off by saying, like, yeah, man, I heard there was like, three of them, um, Moderna, Pfizer and and Johnson and Johnson. And then like one of them is trash and the (laughs) other one is like really good. And the other one is just kind of there. And you'd be like, all right, so you got some good information and then somehow it turned into weird information. So, (laughs) you know, you just have to be able to to tease that apart for folks. I I trust uh, if you go on Instagram and you're looking up pediatrics or pediatricians. So like, go to hashtag pediatricians and you can look at different ones, like hashtag uh, adolescent pediatricians, hashtag, you know, teen docs or whatever. Like they have cool hashtags and you go to their pages and you will see their credentials. And a lot of times these physicians, they know that they are public facing. And so they make sure that their information is accurate. So uh, I, I think that that's a good place to start if you're talking about handheld devices. Again, American College of Pediatrics, ACP, they do a great job of having some information available. There's also an osteopathic pediatrics group that does the same thing. I think it's ACOP that provides recommendations as well. And these are, as I said, they are staking their claims against fact and their reputation. So that's what you want. Someone who's like, look, we've done the research. And if we're wrong, we will will stand up for the fact
0: that we were wrong. Okay. Very good. Very good. So in your case, I know for you, a lot of times you see patients once they're already there. They're already ill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's okay.
1: how they tend to show up <laughs> to the emergency department.
0: ER's real, y'all. I heard the stories over the years. But um mm-hmm. hey, when when you're talking about talking to patients, especially those that were once like anti-vaxxers who mm. didn't necessarily believe in getting the vaccination. How do you communicate or articulate to them? How does their mindset even change over time? How do you see that? Or do you see any kind of like evolution of like, okay, I once thought this, but now?
1: Yeah, it it is a very... Tough group to kind of like get through to sometimes, and it's not their fault, you know. I don't think that anti-vaxxers need to be kind of like lumped in the same category as like people who clearly d- distrust uh, everything about science. Because sometimes these there are anti-vaxxers who are highly intelligent, who are well-read, and they're making a decision that they believe is based in their uh, their understanding of the science, right? So. Like, I don't think that it's an educational issue. I don't think they're unintelligent. Right. The other thing that I'll say is a lot of times this is compounded by smaller case in point situations where they're like, Hey, I know somebody who didn't do this and it worked just fine. And I, like, I know somebody who, <laughs> <laughs> right. They didn't, I just, you know, treated the child with chicken noodle soup and, you know, they never caught measles, mumps, or rubella. I never went and, you know, got a tetanus shot for my child and, they get scrapes all the time they're fine. Like these are case in points, but what it really comes down to is broad numbers. And you have to look at the literal hundreds of thousands of pieces of data to make those claims. It can't be brought down to case in point because those, I mean, people can gamble all the time until they actually lose. That's not fun, right? Because then I'll see that. That's when they come to my department (laughs) is when they lose. (laughs) So, so I don't know if you know, and, and at that point, these viruses are undefeated. They're, they're better at that part than we are at staying away from them. So um, that's that's one of my messages I send. The other thing is, I think that we have to take a second to listen. Right. We really got to try to find middle ground and say, like, all right, so you're not comfortable with this because of why. And then really go as deep as you can to see like there. What is the, the stem or what is at the base of their uh, discomfort with the idea? Uh, so, getting that knowledge allows you to kind of formulate an approach and give them supplemental information that helps them to make a better decision than what they previously made. Right. So, it's like if I told you in the middle of you thinking that, you know, the sky was orange. And I say, well, hey, there are these greenhouse gas, there's gases that change the color of the sky to the point where what we interpret is blue. And you're like, okay, I didn't know that. And so it might basically be new information, right? right? So I think that there is a huge uh, opportunity for clinicians who are educators to try to reach this group. Uh, We have to do a better job at accepting it when we are not able to convince them, right? Like, hey, all right. Can't convince everybody, but you do your your best. And maybe, maybe there are percentage that you do change. And if it is change, it may not be on everything. It may be just on this one issue. And that to me is enough.
0: I agree. And not only that, I, it made me think about minority communities. And we know looking at the data that minorities, Black and brown communities have been hit really, really hard. Probably the hardest. How do we bridge that gap? I know within my field i am one of a minority and i've constantly worked to debunk those myths and the Mm -hmm. ideas and patient client you know those 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 relationships to even get the buy-in to even get them to trust like the medical community to uh, trust me as a clinician to do due diligence exactly which is a whole conversation in and of itself How do we reach those communities to where there's been so much distrust within Western medicine and and so many just gaps in care? How do we address that community to get more buy in?
1: Yeah. So so people of color, uh, (laughs) like, I mean, first off, I mean, this is a community that I represent and I love to to speak about our health as though it is not just like highly prioritized, but something that's cool. Like, cause that's the, the real issue is for so many years we've, we haven't made it something that's cool. It's been stigmatized. You don't have these conversations. Everybody does their own thing health-wise. We don't mess with doctors, like all of these, these concepts, like I'll be good with just, you know, some Robitussin and uh, some, some Tiger Balm. Some hot toddies, like all of these, like remedies that we kind of passed down—Vicks, vapor rub through generations, like being the the cure alls and, and almost self healing out of out of the fact that we did not have equal access to care and the fact that often we could not trust the providers that we were given. Like that is something we've had to uh, combat fiercely, and especially in the midst of a pandemic where it's like, hey, you know, I have not seen a single person at, who needed a physician's help. And say, like, you know, I'm not going. I've never seen that work out in their favor. I've never seen that work. Like, you just be at home, oxygen level is like 70, and you're just like, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to find some oxygen. No, you need to go into a facility that has oxygen because <laughs> we don't have it at the house. Right. And Vix is not going to do Right. So so that that's been a huge hurdle. But uh, the the point of your question that you're asking is, like, how do we create a culture inside of, uh, you know, communities of color where we can have this conversation and everybody feels included and I can provide scientific stuff and answer their questions as well. So or we can provide scientific uh, background and answer their questions as well. First, I'll say this. I'm going to speak specifically about Black folk because that's what I represent. Black folk are not wrong for having questions. We can't gaslight our communities of color for having questions. But there has to also be accountability on those parts too. Like, hey, we do have increased disease incidence, meaning like we do have more underlying conditions. We are typically ones who have higher heart disease, higher stroke risk, higher, you know, diabetes risk and and everything else. And the list goes on. And because of that, it's not going to be even playing field when disease is brought into the picture, right? Like any disease. The second part is there are not enough clinicians of color, meaning that we don't have enough people who look like us, who come from our families, who we can ask these questions, like how you and I are talking right right now like where we can have this conversation, very minimal impact, like not inside of a, the four walls of a hospital. Like we could have a conversation at a house. We could have this conversation over some food and I can bring up these things comfortably and not feel judged for not knowing. Right. Like that's kind of the next place. So we've got to create, uh, we have to use the outlets that are available you know, things like your podcast, things like having Instagram live chats and, and those that create this environment where it's like, you know, I can ask anything. I feel comfortable. This is my people. Like that's this next step. And I think the last thing is if there is apprehension, like really trying to understand why are you like, what makes you hesitant? What makes you hesitant to either get tested about, uh, for, for SARS-CoV-2 or any coronavirus variant, what makes you hesitant to Have a conversation about a vaccine. What makes you hesitant for putting your arm out there and and accepting the vaccine? And then you have people who've done each one of these things to provide perspective and insight. It can't be preachy. It can't be like, I'm telling you to do this because da-da-da. Like, we don't respond well to that. So you have to use some sensitivity with the approach and really understand that these communities, like trust is such a valuable currency to us. Mm -hmm. And so we just have to really work at that trust factor
0: man. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Thank you.
0: I want you to tell the people about barbershop medicine.
1: So your husband and I, for some of the listeners that don't know, uh, we all went to the same college and there was another brother there. His name was Jamil Lacey. He lived down the hallway from us. Marcel lived uh, on the third floor, uh, no fourth floor at that time. He lived on the fourth floor. We lived on the first floor. Uh, Jamil Lacey truly is a visionary and his concept of trap medicine kind of came about in 2014. I was in Oakland actually living on your <laughs> your, your uh, guest space <laughs> when I was doing my rotations. My uh, yeah. Yeah. I uh, I was out here in Oakland trying to get a job or as a, a med student trying to get into a residency yes. program in emergency medicine. And I was at a hospital here. During my time, I spent some afternoons with Jamil and he was talking about using barbershops as an avenue to discuss health topics with young black men and boys. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'd actually done some research on that. And I published something in 2011 about that. And then there'd been like literally a couple of decades of work done in barbershops to address hypertension or high blood pressure in black men and try to reduce their risk of strokes and uh, other heart disease. So I was like, this is gonna work. But the reason why it works is what I just stated earlier about comfort level, right? So for black men, we go to barbershops pretty frequently pre-pandemic. It was like a country club for us. And that familiarity that the lower threshold to be vulnerable in that space is what makes it perfect to introduce ideas around health and wellness. And so the other thing is you reach everybody. So in a barbershop, you can see a very older gentleman. You can see a a young child and you can get all of that across one swath of people in a single approach. And you can tailor your messages to get parents involved, speak to children. You can reach a lot of people very quickly and speak about a lot of different issues very quickly. So that's why doing barbershop medicine is a thing. The show that you're probably talking about is in conjunction with YouTube and Macro, these these entities basically came together. They had a pool of money and they were like, hey, we need to do something that increases our diversity on YouTube. Because when you go there, you don't always see a whole lot of black faces. And when you do find them, it's like, hey, who are these people? How do I see more of them? Can I get more, please? please. <laughs> and YouTube listened. So uh barbershop medicine was developed to show people that health and wellness conversation can go viral, that there can be, you know, very high level discussion uh, that is real, authentic and informative so that people of color can feel represented in the space of health and wellness. And you learn something along the way.
0: And that's how we start. Right. And that's how we change yeah. the trajectory of things. exactly exactly. i couldn't be more proud i couldn't be more proud (laughs) what else you want to add for the people before we close this out
1: yeah i mean i uh i think the biggest questions that i've been getting lately have been around like all right so realistically what in the next like two to three months do i think we are we going back (laughs) into quarantine (laughs) are we going back (laughs) into you know like into the caves, and so, uh, and so we went, Like, am I? Are we returning to the cave? And my answer was, you should have never turned the light off. Uh, <laughs> you should have never turned the light off. But no, I mean, I think that if you look at across the U.S., what we have to keep in mind is, you know, there are different date-based policies that. Uh, I mean, this is going to be handled at the state level. It won't be handled at the the federal level. Meaning, like, no one is going to release a federal mask mandate or a federal whatever. That's an overreach of government. Mm-hmm. But at the state level, at the local level, you will get these little recommendations. You'll get someone saying, "Hey, you can't go into these certain spaces without masks." Or, "Hey, like New York just said, to get into a gym, you're going to have to show a vaccination card." So, uh, I think that there's a plus and a minus behind doing that. And we've got to be very uh, ahead of the curve as, as people like parents, friends, family members, like be ahead of the curve, which is like, understand society will shift towards safety. Like that is the hope is like, how do you make most people safe as possible with that said, like there will be more of that more like, Hey, to get in this space, you got to show a vaccine card. And then, it may not necessarily land well. right? So you've got to kind of figure out where you stand. Uh, and if you're not immunized or going to get a vaccine, be prepared to do some things that are not traditionally like in alignment with that stuff. Like, hey, maybe you're going to have to spend more home dinners now. Yeah. You know, can't go to the restaurants that you used to because they're going to have a mandate for those yeah. things. And while it is your choice, understand that you also are helping keep other folks safe by not going there, by staying at home, by keeping your mask on. Like that is if your decision is to not get vaccinated. Now, for those of us who are vaccinated, your job is going to be behave. Like just cause you're vaccinated, don't go out there and be like, no, I'm, it is not a bulletproof vest. It's not <clears throat> something where you can walk out into the street and it's just like, you know, is going to affect me. You can still get this virus you can still have some symptoms. The the point of the vaccination was not to make you completely impervious to all danger. Its job is to make sure that you don't die or that your hospitalization risk is lower. That's it. That's the, the main take home message. Vaccine equals fewer death, fewer hospitalizations, most likely can manage these symptoms at home without the help of a physician. That's what the vaccine does. Without the vaccine, higher likelihood of death, higher likelihood of, of being uh, hospitalized. Those are the things. And again, this is for mostly adults. When we talk young people, those numbers shift tremendously. It just means that greater incidence, no, unvaccinated children, specifically 12 years old to 18, have like a higher likelihood of having severe illness. Mm. Okay, unvaccinated. My main take home message after all of this is said and done is give yourself some some grace when it comes to this conversation. It's not easy. There's a reason why we haven't had a pandemic in over 100 years is because the last time we had one, people are probably still recovering from a generational level, (laughs) you know, to 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 see what happened. Uh, It definitely is impactful. So give yourself some grace because these conversations are new. Uh, Our current lifestyle is very new. And when you're dealing with a young person who's growing up in this, think about how this is going to shape their their outlook and how their behaviors are going to be adjusted uh, because of this. And it's unprecedented. So just as they're learning, like think about how it was when you were a child and you're learning about the world and learning new things. This is also happening to you as an adult while it is happening to them as a child in real time. So both of you are on a journey you got to give each other grace as you go through
0: this. Agreed 100%. And world changers, I want you guys to be comfortable with the idea that you can be vulnerable and say to your little sugar, I don't have all the answers. It's okay. And it's okay to go on that journey together to find out some of those answers for your older sugars, for your younger sugars. Tailor that conversation. Tailor it to make it work for you. Tailor it to work for them. And be comfortable with what you do know and be comfortable with what you don't know. But again, just make it a journey together. I know you guys can do this. I got a funny cl- thing I wanted to add. Yes, go ahead.
1: <laughs> so I, t- I talked to my buddy yesterday, he called me. He said, you know, his wife was basically saying like, you need to get the vaccine. He was the only one that had held out. I mean, he has some baby girls. They're not vaccinated because they're too young, right. but the wife is vaccinated. And she was like, hey, you know, you're working in a, a, a person or a public facing capacity. And like he sells cars and he was like, my wife's basically telling me, you're not going to come back in this house at the end of this week (laughs) unless you get this vaccine. And so he called me and he was just like, man, I'm scared. He was like, I'm just, I'm I'm scared. And we started talking about his fear. And the funniest part to me was he brought up all the different types of the vaccine and he was like, which one should I get? And I was like, I mean, I can't really make that decision. The one that they have that's available when you show up. And I was like, what did your wife get? And I was like, why don't you just get the one that you like?" And he was like, he said, why would I do that? If she turns into a zombie, I need to have the, I need to be the person that doesn't turn into the zombie. He was like, so I'm going to get the other one. Those fun conversations are what makes families remarkable. That even though in the midst of a pandemic that you can have moments like that, like it's a very serious situation. But just the fact that he was like, hey, there's got to be a strategy. If you get taken out, I need to be able to stay here is that we made a zombie pact with one another to where like yo if someone's turning you gonna get me first just gonna take me off the table and then now you take care of the family I love it so I was just like laughing the whole time while he's telling me this stuff and I'm like these this is what like healthy families are doing in a pandemic and we can't lose those moments even though it's weird and even though there's a lot of non-science in that conversation (laughs) I don't care. I, I just would rather them laugh. I would rather them, you know, have those moments because some of the stuff around us is not laughing. Right. And so do take the time
0: to do that. Keep yourself safe. Right. Dr. Brown in the building. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank
1: you. No, I, I'm blessed to be here. And I again, uh, your platform is fantastic. I really enjoy the way that you present this information and, and how you are charismatic. Our children need this. Our parents need it desperately because I see the ones that come in the emergency department and are like, what do I do? <laughs> I like, take this child up off of my hands. What do I do? So, so yeah, they need more of you. Uh, and, and, and if I could prescribe a dose of this podcast, I would do it.
0: Thank you so much. World Changers, that wraps it up for today. Join us next week where we're going to continue on this journey of back to school we're gonna be talking about cave syndrome and what is that what does that look like and how we can start talking to our sugars about dealing with cave syndrome I know in some districts y'all are going back y'all are heading back my sister works in the school district <laughs> they going back oh <laughs> so uh, well, we'll talk about that next week uh, join us for that. Everything that you need to know will be in the show notes, World Changers. Don't forget to go to my website, I'veGotThisKid.com. Sign up for the, the interest list for my upcoming book. Watch me connecting to your sugar through play. Until the next time, World Changers, take care.